It's 11.30 on Thursday, the third day of June. Tyler Cavalli along with you. Thanks for hanging out with us on this beautiful afternoon so far, or morning, wherever you may be listening. Uh, Temperature is going to be continuing to warm up across much of our region for the rest of today and through the next couple of days through this upcoming weekend. Start of midday, by the way, if I forgot to mention that. Jason is in for sports. We'll talk about a big honor for Nebraska baseball player. Talk about that in just a few minutes. Bob Rogan will uh, tell us how stocks are performing here on this Thursday as we near the end of the week. And, of course, uh, we'll hear more about our upcoming weekend weather with Paul Perkins in about 15 minutes. But let's catch up with Susan Littlefield. Susan, how is your day going so far? It is a beautiful day outside, and, you know, a little warm weather will make this uh, corn go from yellow to green. Uh, that is true. It'll help uh, by next week. This the corn really sprouting up high, that's for sure. So Definitely can sit. And, somebody told me they are going to put a lawn chair out and watch <laughs> the corn grow this weekend. You possibly could. You you might be yeah. able to see it grow in action live. There you, there you go. So, What do you have coming up for us on Midday? Well, we're going to kick up everything at 1219. Is Chad Moyer is going to be talking with Mike Steenhook. He's the executive director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. They opened a new port, and we'll learn about this port in western Iowa. And then at 1245, we will be hearing from Clay Patton as he talks with Bruce Trafer. Bruce is retiring from the Nebraska Extension after a 43-year career. So we're going to learn how the extension has changed in Bruce's time and maybe even a few of his favorite memories as well and it's been all the buzz both in mainstream and ag media and that has been the cyber attack on jbs chabella gives us a look at four experts in the field about this attack and what it's going to mean that's at 117 from the farm team okay so good content coming up uh, enjoy the nice weather i will do so you as well uh, thank you that is susan littlefield appreciate that so let's turn things over to Jason Jorgensen in sports and a big honor for a Nebraska baseball player. Yeah, Spencer Schwellenbach has done just a little bit of everything this year for the Huskers in their fantastic year. Well, after being named Big Ten Player of the Year, he also is now a second-team All-American by Collegiate Baseball Newspaper. Of course, Schwellenbach, he, he hit well for the Huskers, played in the field, and ended up being their closer. And he'll have to play well if Nebraska is to make some noise this weekend in the Fayetteville, Arkansas Regional. Northeastern, the first opponent tomorrow, uh, is no slouch. They're going to have to bring their A game. No, and, and what someone said this week, and it's very true when it comes to the NCAA baseball tournament, and we've seen this before with the Huskers, everybody who's in the tournament has at least one dude on the mound. Sure, of course. Now, I think I'd seen Nebraska might not see Northeastern's ace since he pitched a couple of uh, times last weekend for them, but still, everybody's a threat in game one. So, so just keep that in mind tomorrow night when the Huskers take on Northeastern. That game is scheduled to start at 7. We'll have it on 880-KRVN. Also coming up in sports, we'll hear from Nolan Myers of Arapahoe. He is a member of the South Squad and will be playing in the big game on Saturday night in Kearney. Jason, tomorrow will be in around the 10 o'clock hour to preview the Shrine Bowl as well. Thank you very much. Let's uh, talk with Bob Brogan and how his stock's performing on this Thursday. Well, they were falling earlier, and uh, they're, right now they're pretty much uh, down again. And um, uh, investors are weighing in on the economic reports that that are showing that unemployment is falling, but labor costs are on the rise. And also, uh, there's some uh, some talk out there about some testing being done on electric boats. So we'll have more on that. Okay.
All right, here is a clip. KRBN, The River, and Cami want to make you our big 70th anniversary winner. We've gone platinum for the summer of 2021, and you could win a brand new 2020 Ram 3500 dually pickup with a Hillsboro aluminum flatbed. We're celebrating a big year with an even bigger prize, thanks in part to Suretop Angus and Charlay Farnham, Nebraska Land, Kansas Land, and Colorado Land Tire Group, and Central Valley Irrigation in Holdridge, Lexington, and Kearney. We're giving you a lot of ways to register to win. Stop by one of the many registration locations across the state. Come see us at a summer event and listen for your chance to call in and register on air. You'll have fun driving this from the pasture to a tailgate outside of Memorial Stadium. It's 11.44 here at KRVN, which means it's time for a regional ag weather update brought to you today by Holdridge Irrigation. Paul Perkins joining us here in the studio, and boy, we're getting a taste of summer already. Yes, uh, starting to warm up already. Most of us with temperatures right now in the mid to upper 70s, some low 80s from north central on into eastern Nebraska, and barely a cloud in the sky. Maybe some clouds towards Norfolk and Wayne this morning, and maybe over far southeast Kansas, but for the lion's share of the region, we are looking at some mostly clear skies. Still those humidities down low. Uh, most of the dew points still in the low to mid 50s, but that is about to change okay changing in a good bad way well it'll be good corn growing weather we'll okay. just say that way <laughs> <laughs> but also some breezy conditions and definitely a summer like field tour weather on the way so the conditions in terms of the winds we know the temperatures are going to continue for the rest of the week into the weekend but are the winds going to stay light uh, no uh, those winds starting to show some signs of increasing today they'll be even stronger as we head into the weekend so definitely a summer like feel more humidity, more heat, and so those winds picking up. Hope you enjoyed the last couple of days that were featured some very peaceful weather. <laughs> well, listen, I love the warmer temperature coming up. The wind, not so much, especially for my golf game, but you know, we'll we'll manage around that for sure. But good news is today it's going to continue to warm up. You betcha. It's all thanks to a big strong ridge of high pressure building onto the plains, resulting in that warming trend with some sunny and dry weather that will last at least until Sunday. Highs today 5 degrees warmer than average, then about 10 degrees warmer than usual as we head for tomorrow through at least next Wednesday. By the weekend, higher humidity drawn to the north by some southerly winds off a trough of low pressure over the high plains. As that low pressure trough strengthens, we'll see those south winds become breezy to add to that summer-like feel. Scattered thunderstorms with a low severe threat are possible with the cold front diving south by Sunday night. Not too much of a cold cool down with that cold front though. Additional chances for scattered thunderstorms are predicted for early next week with an area of low pressure tracking across the southern plains but the main energy from that system staying well to our south with several days of warm, dry, sunny and breezy weather. Much of the area going to most likely need another rain by early next week. Unfortunately that activity going to be very hit and miss with many areas remaining dry. Low pressure staying well to our west through late next week, also likely to keep our severe weather threat unseasonably low through the first 10 days of this month when usually it's a very stormy time of the year. In the long-term forecast, warm and the normal temperatures are very likely for Nebraska and Kansas and nearly all of the northern two-thirds of the U.S. Tuesday through June 16th. Below normal rainfall is likely Tuesday through June 16th for Nebraska, Kansas, and the central U.S. For the latest regional drop monitor. Some good news here. Nebraska improved 8 percentage points to 70% drought free. Abnormal dryness to a moderate drought is found in the panhandle. 
North Central and Extreme Northeast Partner Nebraska. Kansas improved 23 percentage points to 97% drought free. Just some small pockets of abnormal dryness in southeast Kansas and the northeast corner. Key weather factors for the markets include heat beginning to expand into the northern plains and with that heat, dryness leading to stressful conditions for row crops. The northern plains will remain hot and dry with triple digit and record heat the next several days, leading to possible damage for vulnerable crops. Showers may return this weekend, but will be isolated. The northern plains will hope for a better chance of rain next week, but right now that's not a guarantee. The eastern Midwest will see some scattered rain today. The drier areas of the northern Midwest will only have limited rain this week. Next week brings more widespread rain to the Midwest, with temperatures warming to above normal to accelerate the growing progress. In central Brazil, another week of nearly complete dryness and above normal temperatures is in the forecast. That will continue to stress and damage the second crop corn. Southern Brazil will see scattered rain this weekend through early next week. That rain, though, not expected to make it into central Brazil. And, of course, Tyler, today a big weather day in weather history for central Nebraska. It was on this date 41 years ago in Grand Island that the tornadoes hit uh, in Grand Island. Of course, that resulted in widespread damage and, of course, multiple deaths. I forgot about that, yeah. Yeah, June 3rd, 1980. Two tornadoes, right? Well, it was multiple. I think it's, yeah, I think there's maybe up to seven possibly, but yeah, but I don't have all the information right in front of me, but uh, definitely a tragic night, and it continued to last for a long period of time. 41 years ago, you said? Yep, June 3rd, 1980. Okay, all right. Remember like it was yesterday. Yes. All right, very good. Uh, For a full weather weekend forecast, where can somebody find that? Your weather page, krvn.com. Thank you. Chad Moyer with you here on the Rural Radio Network. And in Blencoe, Iowa, new cooperative on Wednesday officially opened their port of Blencoe. And uh, one of those guys that was on hand was Mike Steenhook. He's the executive director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. An exciting day here that we are opening up a, a new vein to a world market, huh? It's very exciting. And, you know, one of the things that's a, it's been an unfortunate reality for eastern Nebraska farmers, western Iowa farmers, you know, eastern Kansas farmers, etc. Or even South Dakota farmers is they have proximity to the inland waterway system and the efficiencies it can provide, but they don't have access to the inland waterway system. And it requires investments. It provides an opportunity to, it provides, you have to have an on ramp and an off ramp. Mm-hmm. And there haven't been those kind of opportunities to any significant extent for the Missouri River. And so when you have investments like this, it, it, it shifts it from having proximity where you're just close to the Missouri River to all of a sudden having access to it. And farmers in this part of the country, they often experience a more discrepant or wide basis or the price that they receive for what they produce, not because there's any inferiority to the soybeans that they grow or the corn that they grow, but just simply because they don't have access to a robust transportation network. They have to rely more exclusively on rail. And it's always better in supply chains to have access to more than one mode of transportation. That's one of the exciting things about agriculture right now is that we have very strong export program, but it doesn't really do you a whole lot of good if you've got insatiable demand, if you don't have a transportation system that can step up to the plate and actually provide that connectivity. So that's something that's very exciting, but it's not just for the outbound freight, but it's also the inbound freight. You know, one of the motivating factors for creating this new port of Blencoe is the opportunity to bring fertilizer in. 
uh, northbound. And so now all of a sudden, instead of having to bring it up, say, the Mississippi River and then truck it a couple hundred miles or even greater to western Iowa, now all of a sudden you've got a conduit to bring fertilizer in and then it can just go locally. So that's that's good for the cost, the delivered cost of that fertilizer. It, it's, it's such a win-win in so many different areas. And so this is obviously a very exciting day. Mike, you hit on it, uh, the, the fact that uh, the upper Missouri River is not necessarily utilized maybe as much as it could be. This might change that conversation, huh? Yeah, you know, we have kind of an unfortunate chicken versus the egg dynamic that's happened with the Missouri River and particularly the federal government where, you know, the, the potential utilizers of the Missouri River, they petition the federal government and they ask, we need more investment in the Missouri River. And then the federal government will say, we're not we're disinclined to invest a lot in the Missouri River until we see more traffic on the Missouri River. And then the potential utilizers say, we're not going to devote more traffic to it until we see a greater financial commitment by the federal government. So we're kind of at this impasse. And so you have to break the impasse somehow. And so when you have this kind of investment and all of a sudden you see momentum be generated, then all of a sudden it gets people to look at the Missouri River in a different way. And that's one of the things that is a real high priority of mine in the Soy Transportation Coalition is to have a fresh perspective on the Missouri River. It, it's an underutilized asset. It should be regarded as such. And so when you have these kind of investments take place, all of a sudden it creates more of that momentum. It's, it's always easier to sustain momentum than to create momentum. Mm. What excites me about this is it's creating momentum, and then what we look forward to do is helping sustain that in the future. Again, we've been visiting with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director, Soy Transportation Coalition in Blencoe, Iowa, on Wednesday for the grand opening of the Port of Blencoe by New Cooperative. Here on the Rural Radio Network, Chad Moyer report. It is time for Midday Sports. Jason Jorgensen is now joining us, and the awards keep rolling in for the Husker baseball team. Yeah, Spencer Schwellenbach was honored today as a second-team All-American by Collegiate Baseball Newspaper. Tabbed as a utility player in the second team, Schwellenbach has performed both the plate and on the mound. He enters the postseason hitting .289 with 12 doubles, 6 homers, and 35 RBIs. And on the mound, the Saginaw Michigan native ended the regular season tied for the conference lead in saves with 9. He has a 0.71 ERA and 29 strikeouts over 25 innings. Uh, there's a reason why he was a Big Ten player of the year. Yeah, those are uh, pretty solid numbers at any level. Yeah, he, seven one and <laughs> he did just a little bit of everything for Good. the Huskers. Gracious. All right. Well, they're going to need him not only playing in the field, but also coming out of the bullpen, essentially, coming up here in the postseason. Yeah, the Huskers begin the postseason tomorrow night against Northeastern. That game starts at 7. You will be able to hear it right here on 880-KRVN. Nolan Myers of Arapahoe is one of the many small-town players selected to play in this year's Shrine Bowl. Myers, who's a member of the South Squad, says this is a great chance to see a different kind of football. Well, I mean, it's pretty cool to get to play with a lot of kids from Omaha and Lincoln. I mean, a lot of kids that I thought I'd never actually get the chance to play with. And then coming from 8-man to 11-man, that's that's quite the change. People say 8-man's fast, but no huddle and 11-man, that's that's really fast. Myers adds the reason behind this game has already hit home to him. I think the craziest thing to me was just like how far the money that we raised to play in this game goes, like towards like changing their lives, like getting them the limbs and stuff that they need. I mean, it really does impact their life. and. 
just kind of makes makes us a lot more humble. Kickoff on Saturday night is set for just after 6. We will bring you the game here on 880 KRVN and 106.9 in Kearney. You know, Jason, he does make a good point. You know, basketball, baseball, you can play some club-level sports You know, during the summer and off-season. But there's nothing like that for football. So this is different. Arapahoe playing Lincoln kids and, and, or Omaha kids like you mentioned. It's a cool mix, and it's kind of been that way for a while. And speaking of football, the USFL is relaunching in 2022, four decades after the Spring Football League's short-lived run that featured such stars as Reggie White, Herschel Walker, and Steve Young. The new USFL, which was announced today, will play in the spring with a minimum of eight teams. And although those teams, along with the cities, head coaches, and schedules won't be announced until later, the league says it retains the rights to the key original team names, like the New Jersey Generals. What was Denver called? They were the Denver Gold, I believe. There were some great names. The Arizona Rattlers, I remember. I know that's long, long before your time on this planet. As a 10-year-old back in the early to mid-80s, I loved the USFL. So is this one going to work, though? Of course it won't. (laughs) Why people continue to throw good money down the rat hole of spring football, I'm not sure. I hope I'm wrong. I kind of hope so, too, but I've given a lot of these different uh, football leagues chances, and the quality's just not there. It's hard to compete with something like college and the NFL. You know, the USFL, they actually had it going back in the day. They were spending big money for some of the big talent. That's one of the reasons what busted them. But they, they had a kind of a thing going there in the spring in the 80s, and then they decided to, decided to try to go to the fall and sue the yeah. NFL, and they were, they were awarded $1. And that was, that was the end of the USFL. Listen, the XFL has tried it. Twice. They, yeah, and they've had, they had a little success early on, you know. But, again, I don't know if people want necessarily to watch football in the spring or summer. I don't know. It just hasn't worked. Nothing's worked. So I don't know why you keep trying. That's my original point. We'll see. 2022. I guess I'll try it again. It it is cool they're bringing the old names back, though. Eight teams, right? Mm Mm-hmm. How about Nebraska? Why would we get in that? I don't know. Put them in Memorial Stadium. That'd be okay. They'd they'd have some people show up there. Yeah, yeah, sure. I think that was one of the ideas to go to college football towns like four or five spring leagues ago that they were going to try to pull that off and never happen. Time will tell. Good idea. (laughs) Yeah. For more, (laughs) you can find that at krvn.com. Thank you very much. It is time for Midday News. News Director Dave Schroeder has now stepped in. And yesterday we had a special guest yes. uh, joining us and able to hop on the air. And you guys were able to talk to him as well. Yes, you bet. Well, uh, we were pleased to have State Treasurer John Moranti here. And uh, uh, state officials know that the uh, KRVN mm-hmm. tour is always open. I've, I've uh, told political candidates, too, they know that the uh, the campaign trail always runs through <laughs> KRVN when they're in western, uh, central and western Nebraska. Right. But in any case, State Treasurer John Moranti is adding his voice in support of Nebraska lawmakers who wrapped up the 107th legislature's first session this past Last week. 
really did a good job of, pa- of passing uh, a budget that had modest growth, uh, 2% growth, which is, uh, I think, w- among the, the best rates of, uh, of uh, government growth uh, in, in the entire country. It's one of the most fiscally conservative, fiscally responsible budgets that I've seen out there. Ranchi also gave positive marks to tax relief efforts. The elimination of uh, uh, tax on Social Security income, I know that affects a lot of Nebraskans. We're one of the few states that tax Social Security income. It doesn't make any sense. It makes us not competitive, and we wonder why our seniors leave the state um, uh, when it's time for retirement and go to states like uh, Arizona and Florida. Well, Moranti also gives thumbs up to the legislature's passage and Governor Ricketts' signature on legislation allowing 100% of military retirement pay to be exempted from Nebraska income tax starting this coming January. We were one of the few states in the union that, that tax military retirement benefits, which I think is totally inappropriate that the state ought to be uh, uh, gaining income off of military retirement benefits. That doesn't make any sense to me. The bill was sponsored by Senator Tom Brewer of Gordon at the request of Governor Ricketts and prioritized by Senator Tim Gregert of Creighton. The Texas jury has awarded $222 million to a a person in Kansas. And uh, we'll have more on that coming up in our next newscast at the top of the hour. I'm Dave Schroeder on the Rural Radio Network. Carney is hosting the Nebraska Shrine Bowl, and you can hear all of the action on 880-KRVN and 106.9 in Kearney. Hi, this is Jason Jorgensen, inviting you to join us for the 63rd edition of the Summertime Classic. Our coverage this Saturday starts at 5.50 with kickoff shortly after 6. Our broadcast is brought to you by UNK, Sweeney Wealth Management, and Minute Exchange Bank. Strong legs run so that weak legs may walk. That's the Nebraska Shrine Bowl this Saturday night on KRVN and KRVN.com. Play Pat on the World Radio Network. Nebraska Extension paving the way for future generations, whether it be in research or in youth development and coordination. And unfortunately, fortunately, depending on how you want to look at it, Bruce Trefford, longtime Nebraska Extension with Dawson County, getting to enjoy as he's moving into the retirement stage of his career. But uh, I think there's going to be a lot of folks, really, not only in the county, but really across the entire state, they're going to miss you, Bruce. Let's overview your career and learn more about it. I grew up in high school, at least, at Osceola, Nebraska, which is in Polk County. I was involved with 4-H heavily and with county agent there. We knew him pretty well and always admired those folks. So I went to college and uh, was involved in University 4-H Club. Got a job as an urban 4-H aide, which I had no inkling what I was getting into on an urban 4-H program, but uh, did that with uh, some co-workers that I ended up actually working with for almost 45, 50 years. So that that was kind of neat. Uh, we all kind of stayed in extension and uh, uh, kind of got me started a little bit. And I was an animal science major, so I liked the beef area. When I did my master's, Bobby Mosier was my advisor. and. Bobby was swine nutrition. I really had no interest in swine nutrition, but Bobby would let me do a little bit of everything. And back then, a county agent had to know a little bit about everything. So I did swine nutrition, but I also did ruminant nutrition and forages and a little bit of agronomy, and he let me do all that, which was really nice. From there, I uh, graduated with a master's and came to Dawson County and was here for uh, training with Harold Stevens, the legend, and, and Dave Stenberg, to me a legend also. 
had a good experience here and then went nine years up at Burwell, Nebraska, and then came back here in 1987 uh, and been here for the last 33-plus years. Was there aha moments? Was there just moments that really made the extension job and the extension career just really light up? There's so many of them. Working with producers, there's occasions when you can really see that you made a difference, and and, uh, and some will tell you, but a lot of them is just you know that, that changed their operation a little bit. Uh, they did things differently after that, and so there, there were some things like that that really stood out. And then the the kid part of it, I've always done 4-H, no matter you know what my title was. And in the 4-H world, uh, I guess it's just watching kids be successful, and success isn't really winning. We've had champions at State Fair and stuff from the counties I've been in and all that, but it's those kids that first time at the 4-H club meeting, they couldn't say their name. They were kind of afraid to do that. And then the last year in 4-H, they gave eight sets of reasons at a national contest. And and it's a kid that, uh, you know, was homesick at camp and they went on and were one of the leaders at the university and set up multiple conferences and things like that you know that that's the cool part and and it's seeing that youngster really does not excel in athletics or maybe not be the top of their class but they become really successful with their robot or with their rocket uh, their dog or their clothing, whatever. They, they just uh, find a niche that they really enjoy, and, and some of it, you know, really changes their life. That's the aha moments. Just the impact that 4-H can make and how Nebraska Extension really at times is changing lives. Now, you talk about a career that really spans over four decades, Bruce. What are some of the biggest changes that you, that you can kind of think from when you were first getting into to now when you're starting to at the retirement side? Yeah, I guess uh, when I first started, we were county agents. And for those that watched Green Acres and Hank Kimball, we weren't exactly like that. And this is just for your older audience. We were generalists, you know, just out on the farms and ranches, and, and you had to know a little bit about everything. So county agents. Then we became uh, extension agents and then extension educators and all that. And as time has gone on, we've become more specialized. So people like me that are generalists, we don't fit that quite as well as we used to. People now that are getting hired, you know, they some have PhDs in an area and they're very specialized and maybe they'll have 15 counties. I've always kind of had had one county and I knew everybody, a lot of people at least, in, in Garfield Loop and Wheeler counties. And then when you get to Dawson County, I... I I know a lot of people because they're really involved in the community when you're in, in one place. Probably didn't have the depth of knowledge about any one thing to maybe uh, fit that, that mold, but we tried really hard to find the right people, the specialists to come out and make sure that uh, the producers were getting the information and, and being helped. Green Acres, I believe it's on Amazon Prime now, so there's a whole oh, second generation go. of them that are watching it now, and <laughs> Hank Kimball, very prevalent in that show. Yeah, and Hank Kimball, I, I actually uh, called Alvy Moore, and I have an autographed picture from Alvy Moore, and I've given it to several of my county agent retired friends that were autographed to them. He, he has since passed away, but uh, just the kindest guy, and I think he always felt bad. He made fun of county agents, but he, he, he talked at the National County Agents Meeting <laughs> and everything, so it's uh, 
not your typical county agent. Sure was an interesting show and, and uh, depiction. Talk about how county extension has has changed kind of over the years from being the generalist to, to more broad today. With that, though, has the importance and the reason behind the importance of county extension work changed in that time frame? Oh, not really. You know, it's still that, I think they call it engagement now, but it's about relationships. It's about knowing what's going on in your area and what people kind of need and, you know, trying to help them any way you can and trying to make that connection with the University of Nebraska with the local area and have their questions go to the people at the university to either do research or or give them the answer, uh, help them with that, or else on the other side, you know, to take that research that's coming out of the experiment stations or wherever and, and get them the latest information. Again, we've been talking with Bruce Treffer, who's retiring from Nebraska Extension after 43 years, almost 35 of those in Dawson County. I've got more questions for Bruce, so we're going to learn about what he's going to be doing in retirement because, no, Bruce is not slowing down as well. What he thinks about for the future of Extension and the possibilities that are out there for young people. You can check out this full interview uninterrupted and all of the content when you check out the podcast tab in the web story at ruralradionetwork.com. I'm Bob Brogan. Stock indexes are mixed in afternoon trading on Wall Street as investors weigh the latest economic reports showing that unemployment is falling, but labor costs are rising. Labor costs rose at a 1.7% rate in the first quarter, up from the Labor Department's initial estimate that costs had fallen three-tenths of a percent in the first quarter. Technology companies whose pricey stock values make them more sensitive to inflation fears are the biggest weight on the market. AMC Entertainment plunged after the movie theater operator said it would sell more shares following a huge run-up in its stock price on surge of interest from individual investors. The stock is still up about 2,000% this year. The number of Americans seeking unemployment benefits has fallen for a fifth straight week to a new pandemic low. The latest evidence that the U.S. job market is regaining its health as the economy further reopens. The Labor Department says jobless claims dropped to 385,000 last week, down 20,000 from the week before. Growth in the services sector, where most Americans work, hit an all-time high in May as people flocked to bars, restaurants, and other venues across the country that now have fewer or no capacity restrictions. The Institute for Supply Management says its monthly survey of service industries jumped to a reading of 64, topping the previous high of 63.7 in March. Any reading above 50 indicates the sector is expanding. Electric cars meet your competition. Fully autonomous electric boats. These boats are being developed to ply the canals of Amsterdam and other waterways around the world. The Amsterdam Institute for Advanced Metropolitan Solutions and the Massachusetts Institute of Technology are collaborating uh, collaborating on the rowboat project, which looks for new ways of navigating boats without a human hand at the wheel. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Robert. ransomware attack caused JBS, the second largest meat processing facility in the U.S., to shut down plants earlier this week. On June 1st, Brazil's JBS said it had made significant progress in dealing with a cyber attack, according to the Associated Press, or AP. 
Jonathan Halatic, Policy Director for the Center of Rural Affairs, says any sort of disruption can create issues across the supply chain. That's affecting the farmers in a significant way. And I think when you have basically processors and facilities offline, there is nowhere for those cattle to go, and there is a lot of supply. And there isn't as much demand because that demand would be the processing facilities. JBS is not the first big company to be hit with a cyber attack and probably won't be the last. Todd Lewis, president of Bytes Computer and Network Solutions in Scotts Bluff, says it usually all comes back to the end users, the employees. What you're finding on these guys, the way they get into these systems generally is through um, some sort of targeted phishing campaign. And so they learn about the organization, the people within the organization, and uh, they try to entice them to do something uh, that's going to gain them access into the system. Uh, and once they're in the system, you know, they don't act right away. Uh, they try to hide themselves and gain what they call footholds in the system. These footholds allow them to spread laterally throughout the network. And it's almost like warfare, right? They, they'll plan on how they're going to attack you to cause the most damage in the smallest amount of time so that you don't have time to react and fix the problem before it happens. Lewis says we could be seeing an increase in cyber attacks. A couple of years ago, U.S. insurance companies advocated for companies to buy cyber insurance. They also decided it was more cost-effective to pay the ransom rather than pay for restoration efforts in getting the data back. So for big companies... Chances are I'm just going to pay out because I've got insurance that covers it and you know I pay a small deductible and, and we're back up and running. And they're incentivized to actually give you the, the data back, right? The, why would they not give you your keys back um, to get your data? Because that's just bad business. I, I want to be able to win again. And if I don't play the game, uh, get paid and give you your data back, then um, you know the chances of me getting that money again down the road are much less. So, Lewis says stopping attacks means training employees to be aware of phishing tactics. JBS did move quickly to get operations open, but the question remains, how can disruptions be avoided in the future? Michael Schmidt, co-owner of Torrington Livestock in Torrington, Wyoming, says since the COVID pandemic, which created supply issues, the cyber attack is another wake-up call to break the beef processing monopolies. We're way too susceptible to this. More packers would make it a better situation. It'd be harder to target the packer if we had more of them. But we've got to make that economically driven. As a consumer, we've got to, we've got to, when you have a new person come on, you've got to support them. Halatic agrees and says, well, this time it's only a temporary disruption. This does underscore just how reliant we are on big processors like JBS. Again, that's one-fourth of all processing capacity in the United States is JBS. That was taken offline. And if that is 25% of your options, you're in a tough spot. And so I think this really underscores how important it is to find alternatives. AP says in a statement late Wednesday, the FBI attributed the attack on JBS to Revil, a Russian-speaking gang that has made some of the largest ransomware demands on record in recent months. The FBI says it will work to bring the group to justice and urges anyone who is a victim of cyber attacks to contact the Bureau. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. 
Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network. Let's check in on the closing grain trade now with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. John, the bulls seem to be really cautious here today as we're still seeing a lot of hot, dry weather in for the forecast, a lot of growing season with a lot of pressure on the U.S. crop's shoulders. What kind of was in the trader's mindset today to not want to buy? I think it was risk-off. With We're in this banana world where we have good news treated as bad news because it will come with a, a reaction from the Federal Reserve. So, like, the better the jobs data, the more likely that a rate hike will come sooner, and that could be risk-off for commodities. I think today was just one of those days. I, I, again, wake me up on the close tomorrow. I, I, I want to see who wants to be short, specifically wheat, Minneapolis wheat, into the close of the business tomorrow with, you know, no rain in the forecast. Uh, you know, we all kind of look at the same data. I, I like the QPF one, and the, the, that's been pretty pretty accurate as far as projecting lack of rainfall in the northern, northwestern part of the growing region. That's going to be the case for the next week. Then you look like the NOAA maps, which we're all used to, play, when you look at the 8 to 14 deck, that's above average and above average uh, temperature and below average precipitation. So until those changes, I, I don't I don't think anybody's going to go home this weekend short. Uh, I think tomorrow's job number maybe puts it a bottom, and then the market kind of rebuilds consensus out of the laws report next week. We haven't talked about currencies in a while, and given the Federal Reserve's beige book yesterday, it seems the U.S. dollar index has become a little bit more attractive, trying to make some technical strongholds as well. How important will its close be going into tomorrow in its terms of that macro picture on the grain complex? Well, the FOMC meetings, I think the week after, don't quote me, I want to say it's the 16th, and that's it's going to be a big one in terms of, you know, the 10-year Treasury note has not moved at all. It's been 1.6% pretty much all month, the last month prior, going up into the last Fed meeting. That had really rallied, and that put pressure on tech stocks, and it put pressure on a lot of different commodities. Uh, but in this case, I think we've already seen a correction in, in the funds. I, I think they're going to keep the pedal to the metal. That's at least the way I'm going to trade it until they start to indicate otherwise. So, you know, I think the short-term picture could put a bottom here in commodities. It's been a little bit of corrective territory with lumber, copper, uh, certainly crude oil has had its day, but corn up the time front month-wise. But I don't think the cash price has moved at all. You still have, you know, above $7 cash corn trading across much of the Midwest, and dry forecasting in hand. So I hate to be a permable here. I really don't. I, you know, forecast is perfect, I tell you. But at this point in time, it's very difficult for me to want to be short something like spring wheat, uh, which in then turn, you know, I don't want to own feeder cattle. So those are the kind of the trades we're looking at right now. That is John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst. Sign up for his daily newsletter this week in grain at danielzagmarketing.com. But do remember, trading futures options involve risk of loss may not be suitable for all investors. Do consider these risks before investing. Okay, thank you very much, Clay. That'll wrap up midday here on this Thursday, June 3rd. Catch the Midday Podcast sponsored by Trevenny Motors, wherever podcasts can be found, or krvn.com.